0: Something to note, Journey to the West is a centuries-old novel and has been retold many times. For direct quotes and proverbs, we've relied on Anthony C. Yu's 1983 translation and additional research into Chinese traditions. This may not be the version of the story you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy it. Over a thousand years ago, on an island called Gold Mountain, there lived a young monk named River Float. He was called this because that's how he was found, an infant adrift in a basket on the river, bleeding and crying. The crying was perfectly natural the bleeding less so. He was missing a toe, which had seemingly been cut off before he was set on the water. No one could really say why. The abbot of a local temple found him, and it was the abbot who named him. He was a wise and gentle soul, and raised the child in the way he knew how, in the path towards enlightenment. River Float was an eager and enthusiastic student, and would take on the religious name Xuanzan on his 18th birthday, but he could not be distracted by his studies forever, and one evening he appeared before the abbot in some distress. Most Honorable Qinan,
1: forgive my intrusion. I I have to speak with you.
2: Is this some question regarding your studies? You know, there is no confusion that cannot be solved with good, earnest
1: debate. No, Master. I was actually out in the courtyard discussing the canons of Chan.
2: Discussing? Sounded more like a heated debate to me.
1: I suppose it was. In his anger, the other monk said something that, well, disturbed me.
2: Don't let insults trouble you,
1: young one. What did he say? He said... You don't even know your own name, and you are ignorant of your own parents. Why do you haunt these halls playing tricks on others?
2: (laughs) Men lash out when they're embarrassed. Judging from those words, his ego must have been bruised indeed.
1: But Master, he was right. Though a human being is born into this world through the forces of yin and yang and the Five Phases, his upbringing is left to his human parents. How could I have been so ignorant to never have asked after mine? It is no
2: failing of yours, my son. When I found you on the riverbank, I knew I could not spoil your innocence until you had willingly come before me and asked to hear their full story. Do you wish to know?
1: Yes, more than anything.
2: Very well. Follow me.
0: Qinan led the young Xuanzan to his cell, and once there, he produced a small box which had been hidden above a heavy crossbeam for 18 long years. With trembling hands, the young monk took it and undid the latch.
2: This was in the basket beside you.
0: With reverence, Xuanzan opened the box, Inside were two items, an inner garment, and a piece of folded parchment. The monk unfolded the parchment and saw a note there from his birth mother. The note was written in dried blood, and the story contained within was full of horrors. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're beginning the story of Treepy Taka, a monk of humble origins who goes on to become the protagonist of the classic Chinese novel Shi Yo known in English as Journey to the West. We've already given the broad strokes of this story in our three-part Monkey King episodes, but you don't have to have listened to those to enjoy this one. For today's episode, takes place before the Tong Monk and Monkey King even meet. When our story begins... Sun Wukong is still trapped beneath the Five Phases Mountain as punishment for wreaking havoc in heaven. The monk who would later become his master is introduced as an orphan growing up in a monastery, one who's about to learn the gruesome fate that befell his parents. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13, for the story you're about to hear contains some graphic violence and references to sexual violence and suicidal ideation. But first, I'm going to give you a little background on Journey to the West.
3: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all.
0: As we've noted in previous episodes, Journey to the West is one of the most popular and influential works of East Asian literature in the world. It's a dense, 100-chapter adventure story full of thrilling vignettes and spiritual lessons. Key to the second part is the novel's hero, a monk who comes to be known as Tripitaka. Tripitaka, a monk of the Tang dynasty, is the spiritual heart of the saga While his companions, such as the Monkey King, bend and even break rules in order to succeed, Tripitaka is resolute in his Buddhist faith. Though he comes up against monsters, demons, and ruthless murderers, he never wavers in his pacifism, which makes him the ideal Buddhist hero, but also puts him in incredible danger throughout his journey. We'll begin with the story of his birth— And this is where we'll get a little controversial. You see, his upbringing is almost entirely based on Chapter 9 of Journey to the West, a chapter that is not present in the 1592 printing. It's thought by many to have been a later edition, and thus less authentic to the text. However, we'll stand with scholars like Anthony C. Yu, who argued that the rest of the novel contains enough textual references to Tripitaka's origin story that chapter 9 is a key piece of the story. In his words,
2: these later allusions certainly cannot be construed as incontrovertible proofs for a lost chapter. It may be safely asserted, however, that the author of the 100-chapter novel is thoroughly familiar with the tradition of the birth and adventures of the infant Xuanzang, popularized in the dramas of Yuan and Ming, China, and that he has consciously and skillfully exploited this tradition in his narrative.
0: Since Yu's assertion, some evidence has indicated that Chapter 9 comes from an edition of Ji that predates the 1592 edition. But that's a rabbit hole we are going to dive down right now. It's time we got to our story. We meet our young hero at a key point in his life. Already wise beyond his years, he's about to discover the story of his parents, a tale which would make even the most Zen monk lose his composure. Xuen San unfolded the blood-stained note and read. It began with a poem, a simple stanza that said,
4: Three fields of flowers bloomed like brocade, and eight rivers flowed
0: encircling the city. This refers to the city of Chanan in the Shanxi province, the capital of China's Tang Dynasty, where Xuanzang's mother grew up. Her story began 13 years into the reign of Emperor Taizong, in a year called Jise. It was a time of prosperity without war or strife. In the first lunar month of the year, an edict went out calling for an imperial examination. This was a custom at the time, a way of selecting a new crop of scholars and wise men for official positions throughout the empire. For women like Yin Wen Zhao, daughter of the chief minister, this examination was a nuisance. For days, the streets of Chan'an would be clogged with visitors from all over China. It was annoying, but perhaps an opportunity for a young unmarried woman. She stood at her window, turning an embroidered ball over in her hands as the newly minted scholars passed below her. Her eyes alighted on one of them, a handsome man who seemed deeply uncomfortable with the pomp of the procession. She knew him immediately to be Qin yi guan Rei, a scholar who had achieved the title of Zhuang yuan the highest possible honor. Saying a quick prayer, she hurled the ball at his black gauze hat. Hey, who threw that? guan Rei didn't see where the soft missile came from, nor did he realize what its purpose was until a handful of attendants swarmed his horse and began to escort it away from the procession.
1: What are you doing? Hey, you, stop that! Is this legal?
0: Guan Rei was made to dismount and brought inside. He was about to protest again when he saw the woman waiting for him at the top of the stairs. It is perhaps worth mentioning that her nickname was Mantan Jiao, or a hall of loveliness, and for good reason, too.
1: My lady. <clears throat> A thousand pardons, but is there something I can do for you? I'm part of a rather important procession.
4: It depends. Do you know why I summoned you here?
1: Summoned? It seems more like a brief kidnapping to me.
4: I can return you to your academic friends if you'd rather.
1: No, no, no. I should thank you. In truth, the procession has been rather exhausting.
4: How long have you been... processioning?
1: Three days.
4: <laughs> my father always said he thought the celebration was a greater ordeal than the tests themselves.
1: Your father?
4: Chief Minister Yin kai Shen, you may have met him.
1: Not as of yet.
4: <laughs> you will. You still haven't answered my question. Do you know why you were summoned here?
1: Well, someone hit me with a ball and...
4: <laughs> that was me. I wanted to ask if I might steal you away from these festivities for an entirely different sort of
0: ceremony. It didn't take Guan Rei long to pick up on what Wen Zhao was driving at. Marriages happened fast back then. There was little room for endless flirtation or the romantic trial and error that has become the custom in modern times. And to both involved, this seemed to be a perfect match. As a minister's daughter, Wen Zhao had high standards for the man she would marry, and with the likelihood of an official posting very soon, Guan Rei wouldn't have much time for courtship. It was, after all, fate that brought them together, and fate that set them on the road to Jansou, where Guan Rei was to serve as governor. It was late spring, and the weather was idyllic. As Wen Zhao noted in her account, a soft wind circled to green the willows.
4: A fine rain fell to redden the flowers.
0: This passage, written in blood some nine months later, would be the last poetry Yin Wen Zhao saw in the world around her. It was an arduous journey. They walked by day and slept by night. Though they had a young man to assist them with their belongings, progress was slow. Between weather delays and stops to inform Guan Rei's family about their son's fortune, it was months before they made any conceivable progress. One night, as they stayed at the Inn of 10,000 Flowers, Guan Rei entered with a curious look on his face.
4: Guan Rei, you look strange. Tell me, what's the matter?
1: Sometimes I wonder if we'll ever reach Zhangzhou at this rate.
4: Have faith, my dear husband. The Emperor will understand the delays. He knows the value of a Zhuangyuan.
1: Zhuangyuan I may be, but even I am mystified by some signs I've been seeing.
4: Is that what troubles you so? Omens and signs?
1: It is no small matter. Take this afternoon. I was walking in the market and saw a merchant who offered to sell me a golden carp, freshly caught from the River Hong. I thought this would make a fine supper, so I purchased the fish. The moment he walked away, I saw something odd in the fish's face. It was blinking. Rather vigorously, too. I've been told that fish blinking in such a way must be returned to the water immediately, so I had it sent away. <laughs>
4: You're a gentle heart. We missed out on one meal, that is all. Even if the fish was just a fish, kindness repaid to a living thing is not worth fretting about.
1: I try to do the right thing, but my dreams are dark. In them, I am standing on the surface of a river and can see neither bank, just the waters below my feet, drawing me slowly in until I can feel nothing. There is doom waiting for me.
4: Oh, you are mistaking your own fear for a foul omen. You are a good man, Qin Guan The future may contain dangers, but it contains
0: hope as well. She brought his face to hers and kissed him, and for an infinite moment, all of their worries were dispelled. Soon after, their route brought them to the banks of the great river Hong, the last barrier in their journey. There was a modest hut by a river and a ferry tied up at the shore. The three travelers, Guan Rei, Wen Zhao, and their servant, approached the hut promptly and were greeted by a man around the same age as Guan Rei and just about the same height. But while Guan Rei stood tall and proudly, this man walked with a hunch and swayed back and forth like someone who never lost his sea legs. He bowed low before the travelers, and when Zhao saw that his right hand was missing its middle two fingers.
2: Welcome to our humble crossing. Will it be just the three of you, or are you waiting for family?
1: Just the three of us, thank you. I trust we can set off immediately.
2: What's your rush, my lord? Surely you wish to take in the beauty of...
1: I have an appointment to make, boatman. So, if you're planning on extracting extra fees from me for sightseeing, don't bother.
2: I wouldn't dream of it. Only a true villain would swindle a pair of newlyweds.
0: At this, Wen Zhao spoke up. Something about this man gave her the creeps, and she hoped that small talk would dispel the feeling. After all, country folk are not the same as the city people she was used to. Why do you call us newlyweds? He looked to her, and she immediately regretted her interjection. The man's eyes pressed into her like needles.
2: A young couple, packed lightly? It's no great mystery. Unless this servant here is your son, or such a beautiful woman is barren. I do not think either is likely. Hence, newlyweds.
1: Your wit is amusing. Now, will you grant us passage? Certainly,
2: my lord. My business partner, Li Biao, is readying the ferry as we speak. But perhaps you might want to make camp here and wait to travel. These waters can be quite treacherous after dark.
1: We shall leave now. I will brook no further delay.
2: Very well.
0: The sun had set by the time they set out upon the water. The boatman's predictions seemed an exaggeration, as the river remained mostly calm. Wen Zhao sat by the edge of the boat, peering out across the dark water. For a moment, Wen Zhao thought she saw something glimmer deep beneath the surface. Not the silver glint of stars, but something golden and warm. A moment later, the light vanished, leaving her to wonder if she had seen it at all. Chin, did you see that? She turned back to see her husband snoring gently in his seat, She leaned up against his shoulder and smiled to herself. She had made the right choice. The next thing she knew, Wen Zhao was awakened by a strange, startled cry. She bolted upright, eyes alighting on her already awake husband. Guan Rei was at the edge of the boat, staring into the water.
4: Husband, what's wrong?
1: Can you swim?
4: No. Chin, you're
0: scaring me.
1: Don't come any closer then.
0: Wen Zhao, the woman known as a Hall of Loveliness, stepped to her husband's side. She would not have the truth hidden from her, no matter how ugly. The boat had run aground. Though she could not see far in the dark, Wen Zhao could tell that this was not the other shore she'd been hoping to see. This was an island, somewhere in the center of the river. And in the shallow water, a murky figure lay, rising and falling lazily with the waves. It was their servant. The boy's throat had been cut, and his skin was already pale from blood loss.
1: He must have fallen out in the dark. Cut his throat on a rock, perhaps.
0: No, the boatmen did this chin looked at her. There was no doubt in his gaze, only fear. They were trapped with a pair of murderers and nowhere to run. In a moment, the newlyweds attempt an escape.
3: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.
0: Now, back to the story. The night was silent on the River Hong, as silent as the grave. When Zhao and her husband, Qin Yi Guan Rei watched their servant's body float away, carried by the river current. The boy had seemingly been killed by their boatmen, who now were missing. But when Zhao knew they could not have gone far. She held her husband's hand tightly as they stood on the ferry. They had two options, push off and attempt to guide the boat themselves, or abandon it entirely and hide on this small island. Neither seemed ideal." Something moved on the shore, rustling bushes they could barely see. When Zhao squeezed tighter, the boat rocked dangerously, and she turned. A thin, bald man with a straight back stood at the end of the boat, holding a crudely carved club. This was Li Biao, one of the boatmen. The boat rocked again, as on the other side, Liu Hong clambered aboard, the three fingers of his right hand clutched a small, rusted dagger. Guan Rei backed up against the side of the boat, gently guiding his wife behind him. He was trembling, but his voice was steady.
1: You animals, you killed an innocent boy.
2: You say that as if it should bother me. Lower your fists, Shuang Yan. You're a scholar, not a fighter. You know me? I have friends in Jiangzhou with attentive ears. They told me a new governor would be coming within the year with his beautiful wife. (laughs) Imagine my delight when I saw you had no escort. So you intend to hold me for ransom, is that it? Not a bad guess. That's what Li Biao suggested, and he made some interesting points. But why would I take a small portion of a governor's salary when I could have it all? Now.
1: Just wait a moment.
0: But Liu Hong didn't let him finish. He lunged forward, dagger aimed straight for the scholar's heart. Guan Rei seized the bandits' wrists. The two men wrestled over the blade, swinging each other back and forth as if caught in some sort of lethal dance. Overcoming her own fear, Wen Zhao leapt into Liu Hong's back, clawing, biting, and grasping at him anything to get the man off of her husband. In her panic, she forgot the second boatman. Guan Rei's head jerked forward, struck by Li Biao's club. He released the dagger and collapsed to his hands and knees. Free from the struggle, Liu Hong threw Wen Zhao off of his shoulders. Her entire world spun when she landed, When her vision righted, it was too late. The two boatmen were laying into her husband, clubbing, kicking, and stabbing Guan Re's body in a frenzy. When he finally stopped moving, they heaved him up and over the side of the boat. When Zhao shrieked and ran to the side of the boat, Guan Re's body did not float like their servant. It sank like a stone disappearing into the dark water with a glint of gold finery. A moment later, it was as if he had never existed. Not hesitating, when Zhao heaved herself up to the edge of the boat, ready to jump in. But the boatmen seized her and pulled her roughly back into the ferry.
2: He's gone, dear. You mustn't throw yourself after him.
0: Just try and stop me!
2: We're both very good swimmers, my lady. Are you? Jump off this boat, and we'll just bring you back.
4: What do you want with me? Why don't you just kill me and get it over with?
2: That'd be a terrible waste, wouldn't it, Lee? <laughs> I'm going to need you alive to establish my cover story.
4: I beg your pardon.
2: You're looking at the new governor of Jiangzhou. We're going to have a contract, you and I. If you break this contract, I will gouge out your liver and your heart while you are still breathing. You understand?
4: I
0: understand.
2: Then let's be on our way. And from now on, refer to me as Qian Guanrei, yes?
0: The boatmen set off down the river, Li Biao guiding the craft, while Liu Hong went through Qin Yi Rei's clothing to find vestments that would suit him. With both her captors preoccupied, Wen Zhao could have done something anything, but the murderer was right. If she flung herself into the water, it would only make her punishment more severe. She did not fear death, but pain was another matter entirely. So she sat in the boat, thinking that with every stroke of the oars, they were going further and further from her husband. Morbid thoughts filled her mind. How long until the fish ate his flesh away and there was nothing left but bones? What parts of her husband would survive, lying all but forgotten on the riverbed? There was indeed a part of him that survived. She was sure of it, but it was not in the river. It was growing within her. They arrived in the city of Jianso soon after, and were greeted by the officials, clerks, and aides who threw a great banquet for their new governor. At the banquet, Wen Zhao sat beside her fake husband, stewing with resentment. Oh, how she hated him! She could only stomach the meal before her by imagining that the pork was Li Biao's flesh she pictured herself devouring him piece by piece before wrapping his empty skin around her like a cloak. He addressed the chamber, and with each word she hated him all the more.
2: Gentlemen, ladies, wise and noble politicians of Jiangzhou, your hospitality fills me and the Lady Yin with such joy and gratitude. I hope to be as good a governor as you deserve, but I must insist, I will be highly dependent upon your advice and experience when making my decisions. <laughs> I am new to this, after all.
4: Pretty speech. I wonder how long it will take them to realize you are no true Zhuang Yuan.
2: They never will. Flattery dulls even the sharpest wits, Lady Yin.
4: You cannot possibly think this will last. You want to be governor, but you have no qualifications, no skills.
2: I think you should focus on your own future. For instance, how long will you think of yourself as a captive rather than a wife? After all, this is not so much worse than arranged marriage, don't you think?
4: I chose my husband.
2: Is that so? Well then, you chose a man fated to die by my hand. So in a way, you chose me as well.
0: From her first day at the governor's mansion, when Zhao began to devise ways to escape. She must have written a thousand times to her father, Chief Minister Yin. All she needed was one letter to get through, and Liu Hong's ruse would be up but he must have bought the servants' trust early on. They would take her letters, but not a single one left Jianso. She knew this because she found a scrap of parchment written in her hand in the ashes by their stove. The one mercy of Liu Hong's new position was that he would often be called away on affairs of state, leaving Wen Zhao to her own devices. He barely noticed when her belly began to swell. And it was during one of these trips that it finally happened. Wen Zhao was walking through the pavilion garden, when she was seized by a horrible pain and collapsed into the earth, wetness spreading down her legs. She clenched her jaw, resisting the urge to cry out. She did not want anyone to hear, least of all the servants who would report to Liu Hong. Hand over agonizing hand, she crawled to a private chamber where she was sure no one could hear her screams. By the time her child was born, it felt as if every ounce of strength in her body was gone.
4: (sighs) Hello, little one. I wish we had more time together. I don't even know what to call you. (sighs) That evil man has tainted both my name and your father's.
0: Wen Zhao's luck had run out, it seems. Liu Hong had come home, just in time to walk in on Wen Zhao with a newborn baby. Shock registered on Liu's face for a moment before it hardened into rage.
2: Give it to me. Now! Wait!
0: Wait! Please.
2: You must have known this would happen. Surrender the child now and I will make sure it has a quick and painless death.
4: But, husband, you are so busy. How am I to know you'll do it properly? Perhaps I could take care of this for you. You must be tired after your trip. Rest a while and I will, I will dispose of the baby tomorrow morning. Let me do it in my own way. Please.
2: Hmm. How would you do it?
4: I would sink the baby in the river, just as you did with their father. That way, they may see each other in the next life. Once we are rid of them, I mean it. We can begin our life together properly. Be rid of the last piece of Chinny
2: Very well. But bring me some piece of the child to know that it is done. A finger or an ear, perhaps.
0: Of course, my husband. Wen Zhao's relief did not last long. When she could muster the strength, she carried the child out of the city and down to a nearby riverbank. I am so sorry. With a knife taken from the kitchen, she cut off her child's little toe, both as proof of the deed and maybe, just maybe, a way to identify them when they grew up. Then she cut her own finger and wrote a note in blood, relating her whole story. It ended with the line Do not judge me too harshly for my
4: failings, little one. I will live in this gilded prison until you come and find me, or until fate decides I should join your father. All my love, In Win jiao.
0: A little over 18 years later, San finished reading the blood-stained note. He lowered the parchment, hands trembling. His mother was, or at least might be, still alive and trapped in a marriage to the man who had murdered his father. He looked up at his master, trying to ignore the itching on his right foot where his toe had been cut off.
1: Why did you hide this from me?
2: I have never hidden anything. I knew you would come for it when you were ready.
1: I have to find her. I need her to know that I'm still alive. I thought you might say that. Which is why I have a warning for you. If you're about to tell me to stay here...
2: Of course not. You must go. But be warned. A monk cannot be a warrior. You may well desire to enact violence upon this Liu Hong. But remember... He is the governor of that city, and has been for almost twenty years. Raise a hand against him, and he will have just cause for executing you.
1: What can I do?
2: Temper your rage, young one. Go to your mother, and you will find a way to obtain justice for your father.
1: Thank you, Master. I will return. My duties to the temple will not be forgotten.
2: (laughs) One thing at a time, Xuanzang.
0: And so the monk they called River Float packed his things and set off toward Jian There was hope in his heart, but an even greater dose of fear. After all, how can a pacifist defeat a murderer? In a moment, we'll tell the story of a very strange family reunion.
3: With more than $88 in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly.
0: Now back to the story. Let us begin this part of the story with a proverb, oft quoted by the Bodhisattva Guan Yin. It goes, A man with good intent will win heaven's ascent. Lady Yin Win Zhao had heard this saying once when she was very young. She awoke one morning from a dreamless sleep with it echoing in her mind. A ray of comfort in the cold governor's palace she refused to call home. She was not old, as a young woman she was married, and as a young woman she gave birth, but you would not know it from looking at her. Grief, fear, and stress cut deep lines under her eyes and made her posture weak. You could still call her beautiful, but her beauty was like a ghost's, grey and lifeless. When the round-faced monk showed up at her door, he was met with the same misty-eyed stare that greeted all guests to the governor's mansion. She was used to seeing chin Yi Guan Re in strangers nearly every day. So seeing a man who bore such striking resemblance to her dead husband was little surprise. Alms, alms for a poor monk.
4: Wherever
0: did you come
1: from? I am a disciple at the Gold Mountain Temple, my lady. Here for alms, if you can spare it.
4: Gold Mountain Temple? That is a long way to travel for charity. Why do you come all the way to Jianzhou?
1: I... is the governor at home?
4: My husband is away on important business. I can tell him you called, though what a Buddhist would want with my husband is beyond me.
1: I am actually here to speak with you. With me? Are you not the Lady Ying, also known as Mantan Zhao?
0: At this comment, Wen Zhao looked at the stranger with new intensity, the fog of grief lifting from her gaze. No one had used this nickname to address her in years. Qin? I don't understand. My father's
1: name was Qin, so I suppose these belong to you.
0: He unfolded his pack and held out the belongings that she had given him 18 years ago. The note, the garment, and the box that contained them both. He then removed his shoe to reveal the missing toe that she left as a painful birthmark. Mother and long-lost son embraced, weeping openly in the governor's mansion. Wen Zhao's heart lifted like it hadn't for almost 20 years, but even she knew this moment of joy could not last. Her son had come here for a reason, and both of them knew what it was. I have
1: to get you out of here. If your husband is out of town, let's just go. We can offer you protection at Gold Mountain Temple.
4: I wish it were that simple, but I've learned many lessons while living with Liu Hang. The man has been governor for almost two decades. He has servants and soldiers whose loyalty comes without question. If any one of them spies me leaving the city with a strange monk, we will be captured before we get two leagues from here.
1: There has to be some way to escape.
4: Don't you think I've tried? It has been a long 18 years, and often I lost hope that your basket made it to safety. But there is no way
1: out. Well... If we can't get away from him, we'll have to get
0: him away from you. The words had barely left San's mouth when the door burst open. When Zhao's heart sank, her false husband had once again intruded upon her and her son. If the years of confinement had worn on Wen Zhao, they had done so doubly for Liu Hong. The man's pronounced stoop was now a complete hunch and his black beard was thinning. His eyes still held the same malice as they looked upon Wen Zhao, seeing her happiness for the first time since they first met. He gave a yellow-toothed smile.
2: I'm home early, my love who is this beggar you're entertaining
1: my name is shrin
2: my lord i came because if you say you're here to beg for food i'll take one of your fingers for a trade
4: well i he's here to visit me husband
2: to visit you
4: why yes you see when i was a young girl i vowed to donate a hundred pairs of shoes to the local temple Last night, I had a dream that a monk appeared before me demanding his shoes, and the next morning, here he is. The mysteries of fate are quite incredible, aren't they? I suppose, as a scholar, you appreciate this far more than I.
2: A hundred shoes? An easy thing to obtain. Do not worry, dear monk. My wife was a silly girl, and in some ways is still that same silly girl. But tell me, will you dine with us tonight? Oh no, I couldn't presume. We have no plans, don't we, dear?
4: Don't you have an appointment?
2: Whatever it is can wait. A hundred shoes for a monk who only wears one is much more interesting.
0: The governor of Jiangzhou hosted Xuanzang that night. Their cooks made the monk a vegetarian plate so that he would not break the vows of his order. As they ate, San felt the eyes of Liu Hong on him. Even the aroma of expertly blended spices could not dilute the discomfort in the room.
2: So tell me, monk. I couldn't help but notice you're missing a toe.
0: Has meditating
1: become especially dangerous lately? It was an accident from when I was an infant. I barely remember it. They say I was trying to climb a tree, and I fell on a sharp rock.
2: Hmm... Such accidents speak to poor parenting. No wonder you chose to become a monk.
1: I chose my path because it is the right one for me. And
2: yet, here you are collecting shoes like a common moneylender. A
1: curious path indeed. Not as curious as yours, I should think. From a bookworm in a small village to a governor? The way Lady Ying tells it, you had no political ambition before this. How did you wind up as a governor? I, uh, I tested well. Oh, yes. I hear the Imperial exams are quite rigorous in both science and philosophy. I'm sure we have a great deal to discuss, you and I.
0: San could not help but enjoy himself as he saw Liu Hong's face turn pink with embarrassment. For the rest of the evening, San talked circles around the pretend scholar, pointing to every evasion and gap in logic casually as if debate was second nature to him. By the time the meal was finished, Liu Hong was practically steaming with rage.
4: Thank you for the visit and the stimulating conversation, young monk.
0: I promise we will have your shoes before too long. So enraged was Liu Hong that he didn't notice the note that passed between his wife and San. If he had, maybe he would have killed them both right there, no matter the consequences. For as the Bodhisattva Guanyin is fond of saying, When a good word is spoken, an
4: answer will come from beyond a thousand miles. When an evil word is spoken, opposition will hail from the same distance.
0: (laughs) In Xuanzang's hands, the letter found its way from Janzhou to the capital city of Chanan, There, it was opened by the monk's grandfather, Chief Minister Yin Kaishan. He read of the hardship and cruelty his daughter had suffered under for the last 18 years and was outraged. With the approval of the emperor, he sent a column of riders on horseback to Jianso. Liu Hong awoke to find his mansion surrounded. He shook his wife awake in a panic.
2: What is the meaning of this? Why are there Imperial troops at our doors?
4: Why don't you ask them?
2: Don't be foolish, Wenjiao. We have to run.
4: There is nowhere to run, husband. You told me once that if I betrayed you, you would cut out my liver and heart while I was still breathing. I think I would like to do the same for you.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. Next week, we'll see the men who broke Xuanzang's family brought to justice, and see what happens when the monk has a visit from the Bodhisattva herself. For more information on Xuanzang and his adventures, we found Anthony C. Yu's translation of The Journey to the West instrumental to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. See you next week for the next part of this epic story.
3: Mythology is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Drew Lawn, Jen Wong, and Brian Kim. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson.